Welcome to the Compliance Perspectives Podcast. I'm Adam Turtletow from the Society of Corporate Compliance and Ethics and Healthcare Compliance Association. Joining us today, all the way from Slovenia, is Matej Draszczak. Matej is Director of the Finance Division at Lawn Bank. And today we're going to talk about an interesting topic that he wrote about for Compliance and Ethics Professional Magazine, which is the myths of ethics. Uh, first, Matej, thank you for taking time out of your evening to talk to us today. No problem. I'm glad that I'm here and thank you for inviting me. Oh, it's my pleasure. And thanks for addressing this topic. So in a recent article for the magazine, you laid out several what you called urban myths about business ethics that I, I really like. Let's go through them, um, starting with myth one, the code of conduct supports ethical behavior. Uh, that's a very provocative thing to call a myth. Uh, can you tell us what you meant? Yeah, so... I'm not saying, you know, that you should just uh, dismiss the code of conduct or not actually implement it in the company. But, you know, like everything in life, it's not about what is written on the paper, but how you actually use it. So to actually have a code of conduct does nothing regarding the ethical decision making or at, at actually the ethics in the organization. So what I argue in the article is that and as well, the academic research does, does not show any link between the, the ethical decision-making or the improvement in the ethical decision-making and implementation of the code of conduct. But what I want to emphasize is not the actual code of conduct, but the use of the conduct in itself. So, and actually the research showed that, you know, this annual attestation so that you actually, uh, you, you read the code of conduct and then you say, okay, I will obey it in every single decision in, in the next year, actually does it not help. What it does help is that you actually um, read code of conduct or other, I don't know, inspirational, ethical, you can, it can be fiction, it can be religious book. And before you actually do or uh, make an important decision, ethical decision, you should just read, you know, code of conduct or a religious book or what actually aspires you. And this will actually help you to improve your ethical decision making. So this is why I always say, if you have the board meeting and then there is before you vote, just take few few minutes, give the board members maybe a code of conduct or anything else to read it, and then they should make a decision. And this helps and research in behavioral economics, behavioral uh, psychology actually show that this is what helps because our brains, you know, function a little bit strangely sometimes, and this helps. So probably when we wake up, you know, these ethical uh, uh, brains in, uh, and then uh, it functions. So this is what I argue. Code of conduct, okay, you, you can either have it or not, but use it and use it for every important ethical decision making. Yeah, I remember reading the Dan Ariely's research and moral reminders and the importance they have. And you're right, he points out that they're very powerful, but only for a very short period of time. And that is uh, why it's key for people to look at the code before they make these decisions. All right, let's move on to myth two. The compliance program helps the organization become more ethical. What do you mean? Why is that a myth? So, you know, the compliance programs and everything are growing and 
companies are actually pouring more and more resources to it. But unfortunately, there is no return, let's put it on investment, if we are using a finance, a financial language. So as well, you know, the research shows that only around 70, uh, so that only 70% of firms that have the compliance uh, program even try to measure, you know, the effectiveness of their compliance program. And unfortunately, we it comes to why we have compliance. Is it because we want to be more ethical or is it just because we want to avoid penalties and fines so and this then comes to you know the vicious circle that when you're actually trying to achieve a goal in the goal you will never achieve that goal because you're just trying to you're focusing too much on only one specific task so for the compliance programs to be effective i argue that it should what every single function in the company is doing it's try to innovate and try to test you know what is working and what is not for example you know compliance is quite let's put it like a, a legal profession and there is a lot of codes you know uh, guidebooks and everything in it's in written form unfortunately some people are not good at reading or as well they are not you know this type of person that actually absorb the knowledge through reading so why not you know put videos put i don't know some sketches or something to actually innovate to make you know following the rules or following uh, ethics rule a little bit more fun and i think that is missing so Compliance program, yes, of course, but do, it, it's not by itself enough. You have to test, you have to innovate and actually see what is working and what is not. Because a lot of times what we think, or I, I'm a, I was previous in internal audit, and what I thought that is actually working, it's not. People are different, so as well the compliance program should be different and customized to each individual. Intriguing. Now let's move on to urban myth you identified number three, which is whistleblowing tools reduce the risk of unethical behavior. Uh, a lot of people won't like hearing that. What did you mean? So basically, unfortunately, you know, and there is quite a lot of um, uh, research on that, um, is that people do not report uh, ethical wrongdoings, not even criminal acts, because of a lot of things mostly in the companies is because of retaliation and even though for example in the eu we have now the whistleblower directive and there is a prohibition of of the retaliation it's still uh, persisting so around 60 to 70 percent of all the whistleblowers are actually you know actually uh, reporting that they still get even though that there are safeguards and there are rules regarding the retaliation they still get punished for act for actually behaving and this is the problematic part you know so for me uh, i always say that one of the good practice regarding that is you should actually, but this is a big exclamation mark and, and please use professional judgment. So I always say test, you know, test how would people react in ethical or in let, let's say highly sensitive situations. I always give an example, you know, go to your, I don't know, to common room or a coffee room and leave, I don't know, 100 bill inside. 
will people or the person who finds it will they keep it or they will return it or send you know a company email somebody left 100 euros and this is as well together with and this is the same for me in the whistleblowing program that we have everything but unfortunately people do not respond to that because people we are quite a calculative uh, 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 person so uh, beings. Uh, we calculate benefits and costs. And unfortunately, I do not know a lot of people, a lot of whistleblowers that actually, let's put it like that, benefit from being ethical. More or less, a lot of times the whistleblower's life are being ruined, they cannot get the job, etc. So this is for me uh, important that we have to be careful um, that just implementing the tools and then the, the reporting is an anonymous and everything. Yes, this is important, but at the same time, we have to nurture and as well um, think about why people do not want to report it. Because even the most ethical persons at the end will not report it uh, the unethical behavior. Yes, the life of a whistleblower is never an easy one. So let's move on to the next myth, uh, as you identified. Individual unethical characters can be curbed with the right controls. Um, that's a scary one, especially coming from someone, as you had noted, is a former internal auditor. What did you mean here? So when I did the research, I actually didn't know as well that there is a difference between personality and character. So, and the main difference being that personality may change over time while character remains the same. So why is this important? Because personality is quite easy to read and we are all expert at it. You know, we, we judge people funny, extrovert, energetic, or sometimes, you know, lazy, negative. And this we do, you know, as the first impressions, you know, that are actually forming the first few seconds. Um, unfortunately for the character, you know, to come out of the person, it takes time and it takes far longer to puzzle it out. So, and the problem becomes, you know, that um, we are connecting personality with character that if somebody is, you know, outgoing, outspoken, okay, they may, they might be, you know, courageous, um ethical etc and this is not true and unfortunately we can judge personality quite easy with the tests you know character is only can be seen when actually somebody is doing it so we say everyone is courageous you know i'm brave but when there is a fire you will actually see who is brave and who is not and this is important that if we have, and unfortunately, you know, the higher you go in the corporate ladder, more, um, let's put it like that, problematic characters they are. Uh, unfortunately, this is the case. We are not able, but there are some tests I mentioned in the article, Kolsberg uh, test of moral development. Um, we are not using this test to actually see what are the characters of the managers or employees. On the other hand, the personality is quite easy to measure. And I said, because personality, we see it. Unfortunately, character, we need time. And in this, um, uh, in this time, we don't have time to actually do that, you know, to get to know a person as well. 
And it is one of those things where, you know, character doesn't necessarily get tested all the time. And you don't know what's going on until, you know, often too late to find out that the person is not as strong as you thought. So let's move on to one more myth before we run out of time. Uh, you wrote, it's goals related to ethics or compliance help people behave more ethically. So are, are you saying incentives don't work or something else? Oh, uh, this was quite a difficult question for me to answer, but at the end, I think incentive does not work. We have multiple research that actually, you know, that especially ambitious goals actually lead to the unethical behavior. And we saw that now in, let's say, big corporate scandals of Wells Fargo and everything. What is even more intriguing is that the, the people are even more afraid you know, of the, not of the carrot, but the punish, punishment. So uh, if even more uh, uh, risky for companies is that if you use goals to punish people of not achieving, you know, the goals and then punish people, this is a recipe for disaster in the company. So I think that we are now getting into the as well after post-COVID and with the great resignation and everything. And I think it's slowly starting to show that these incentives and everything, we are past that and people are looking for a little bit more meaning in their work, you know. And unfortunately, we are not like animals or rats that the stimulus will actually do something. But I think we are a little bit more complicated. So yes, you can use these goals and incentive but again, be careful with it, uh, because at the end, it may not come out what you wish for. Well, and too often, the incentive program is nothing more in the end than a roadmap to risk and wrongdoing. Well, Matei, thank you for these provocative insights. Uh, I want to thank all of you for taking the time to listen. I'm Adam Turtletow from SCCE and HCCA. I hope we're able to expand your compliance perspective. <music>